This is my hope and my prayer for where we as a church are headed. That our connect groups are no longer based on affinity. You're all of the same age or gender or life stage, but rather you live near one another. So connect with each other. And maybe we could begin to learn to care in a way this city has never seen before. Maybe the rich and the poor would truly meet together. And whether it's Sunday mornings or Monday nights or whenever or whatever we're doing, we would know that we have a brother we could turn to in every storm and every time of trouble. It's my hope and my prayer for you and I today. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. As we continue in this series about the point and who we are and who we're going to be today, we're going to talk about our community and what it means to be a community, brothers and sisters who care for and love one another. So today I want to begin by just jumping straight into scripture and we'll start there and from there look at what it means for you and me. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. And you can find that in the pew Bibles in front of you or the ones that are upstairs on the sides on page, I think, 1,145, if I can recall correctly. Hey, there it is. Excellent. Or if you want to use your phones, you can find a Bible there and uh, follow along. To understand where we're going to pick up, because we're coming into the story in the middle of the story, let me tell you a little bit of what happened before. Uh, Maybe you've heard of a guy named Saul. Saul was a religious leader who loved God deeply. Saul was committed in everything he did to seeking after God and to defending God so that nobody would say or do anything contrary to God's plan and God's will. And in Saul's passion and his zeal, he saw Christians as a great enemy because they were proclaiming that this man, Jesus, was also God. And for Jewish people, that was breaking this understanding of, a, of one singular God. They're saying, how can God have a son? And they didn't quite understand it. So Saul, in his good intention, is seeking to go around to imprison and kill Christians. And Jesus meets him on the way to Damascus. As he's traveling with a letter to imprison these Christians, Jesus stops him in his tracks and asks, why are you persecuting me? And out of that place then, Saul is physically blinded and can't see and gets led into Damascus by others and for three days eats nothing. Trying to figure out what's next in my life, where do I go from here, will I ever get my sight back? How much wrong have I done in my life up to this point? If Jesus is for real, I've missed the mark. And into this place for Saul, a murderous, hate-filled man who was so passionate about his religious experience, he was willing to kill others for it. 
Into this place, God speaks to a man named Ananias. Here's what happens in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So right off the bat, God speaks to one of the believers there in Damascus, the very people Saul was coming to imprison and to kill. The one who just moments prior would have been praying, God, protect us, defend us, save us from this man. Speaks and says, I want you to go to that man, to where he is. He knows you're coming. So Ananias responds as I probably would have. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Right off the bat, as Ananias is called to go and connect with Saul to love and serve this man, there's a little bit of fear Don't you know who he is, God? Like, I've heard the things he's done, the authority he has. I know his past. Surely he's not the guy you want me to go to. How often do we in the church do the same? We see people's past or even their present, and we say that can't be who God's seeking to reach or love or serve. We put up these barriers, but God speaks Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. I love this story because Ananias had every reason to not trust God. Every reason to avoid going to Saul. And yet in following what God was doing, he went. And I love the way he begins the conversation. Brother Saul. You see, brother is something that is significantly more meaningful than just random person or stranger. To be a brother is to be closer than family. To be one who's like blood, united in all things. Anybody in here have brothers? Or for that matter, sisters? There's something wonderful about family. We can hate each other and we can fight and we can pull hair and we can do all kinds of terrible things. But the moment you come against my sister, suddenly you've crossed a line. Suddenly, this family boundary, this bond of family, even if there's already distance between us, suddenly this supersedes everything else. And now, now we're united together against a common enemy. To be a brother is significant. 
Because in the Old Testament law, you were bound to care for your family. You were obligated until death to help them and serve them in every way. And when you didn't, it was an act against God himself. Ananias comes to this man who was just days before seeking to kill him. He says, brother Saul, let me tell you about this Jesus and what he's going to do for you. There is here for Ananias an echo that we see earlier in the story of Acts. You see, from the time that Jesus rose and ascended into heaven, the church treated one another like family. More often than any other term in scripture, we see the the church referred to as brothers. And most modern translations translate that as brother and sister. So anytime you read brother and sister, it's, it's referring to this idea that we as the church should be closer than blood, family forever. And in that family relationship, we are bound to one another. We have an obligation to each other, an obligation to care for and serve and love beyond all possible means to give whatever it takes for the sake of one another. In fact, all throughout Paul's writings, this guy named Saul, his name later becomes Paul, and all throughout his writings, he repeatedly says, this is what you do to one another. This is how you treat one another. And one of the places in Romans chapter 12 that he writes, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Seek to outdo each other in showing honor. There's this idea that if we are family, our relationship supersedes everything else. And I love that he's called brother before Saul ever makes a change. Before Saul's life ever gets put together or he proves that he's a new man, before he can demonstrate that the old self is gone, before he can be anything other than the mess that he is, Ananias comes and calls him brother. And just like that, he's a part of this family. And he gets up, he's miraculously healed, and then it says he's, he's baptized, he's brought into this family, he's joined with the rest of the church, and he takes food and is strengthened. As the story continues, this man, Saul, later Paul, becomes the greatest missionary the church has ever seen giving everything, writing half the New Testament, laying down his life and suffering for the sake of this very message he once persecuted. But it all starts with this word, brother. See, you and I, we here at the point, we exist for the sake of connecting the disconnected. To see those who are far from God, either by their own choice or because others in the church have pushed them away, those who don't understand how much they're loved, and to connect them to this God who cares. Everything we do is about that. But it can't happen if we're not brothers and sisters. No measure of attempting to connect with other people will ever work long term if it's superficial at best. You and I need a kind of community that changes everything about who we are and how we live and how we love. 
For the early church, it was pretty easy to call people brothers or sisters because they literally lived near each other. In fact, in most of Paul's writings, he writes to the brothers in Ephesus, the brothers in Galatia, the brothers in this place. He's repeatedly writing to the family in these locations because they didn't have hundreds of churches and congregations scattered across the city. They had one church united in one common cause. This good news that Jesus' death and resurrection gives us life and not eternal life starting later, but life now, that there's a king who has come to reign over all of this world, that we can have his peace and his joy and his justice now. And this good news changed these people. In fact, earlier in Acts, it describes this community of faith as every day they would gather and they would break bread and they would pray and they would be in the synagogues and in the temple and in each other's homes and they would care for one another in such a way that nobody had any need among them. Everybody had what they needed and was cared for. This radical hospitality, this radical kind of community of the church changed everything. In God's really good and gracious ways, I love that he brought us as the point to this building here. You see, 116 years ago when this building was built, I think they had no idea that we would be here today. I think the church and the people that planted that church 116 years ago had no idea that not only would we be here today, but that this neighborhood would be what it is. But God did. See, when they built the church, they installed a stained glass window. Maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't, but you probably will now when you leave. Right there as you walk in, the first thing you see through those middle doors is a stained glass window that says, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. And at the time when this church was first built, this building became a thing this neighborhood around us was quite prosperous. The rich and the poor meeting together was not really their norm in that place, and yet they had the foresight to say, this is what God is all about. And over the years, this neighborhood's transformed, and now we have a mix of those who are poor, those who don't even have houses or food, and those who live in really nice condos and apartments and have great businesses. The rich and the poor truly are this neighborhood where God has called us to meet together, to be a community unlike any other. So how do we live like that? How do we in this 21st century become a community like this early church who loves and cares deeply for one another? Well, I believe that to do this, we have to recognize we have several obstacles against us that will make it really tough. See, with the Industrial Revolution, as America began to change, one of the things that changed in America was our ability to have community. And here's what happened. Have you ever heard of the invention of the automobile? Anybody have a car? Get here in a car, somebody drove you somehow? Cars are not evil. I like cars and it's very convenient to be able to travel great distances with cars. But as cars began to become more prevalent in our community and in our society, 
people began to realize they were no longer bound by the community they lived near. They could participate in communal life that is separate from them. They could participate in communal life that they could then leave when they wanted and only take the portions that were good. And so as this began to happen, we started seeing cities sprawl further and further out. And cities, as they began to sprawl, needed new roads to help people get from one side to the other side. And they put in giant interstates and highways that divided communities and separated people and destroyed businesses and churches that were once the center of the life of the community no longer became the center of your community, but rather a place you would go and a place you would participate And so with the invention of automobiles and their prevalence, as we began to move further and further apart from one another, we began to find churches that were not our community, but the things we wanted. The pastor, or the music, or the style, or the building, or the ministries that fit our needs. And for a while, this seemed to be working. And the church as a whole collectively across America continued to grow up through about the 60s or early 70s. And then we began to see this go backwards where across this country churches began to shrink. As other opportunities increased for community, community life shifted to your little league sports team or to your school near where you live or your community center or your bowling league, whatever it was, something else became the center of community for most of us. Another thing that has set us back with our development of community is our very architecture and building. How many of you have a front porch? A couple of you. How many of you use your front porch for more than Amazon deliveries? A couple of you. You see, it used to be that before automobiles, you had everybody living on the front porch because your front porch was your gateway into the whole neighborhood. It was how you got to know people, how you saw people. You would invite people in. You'd wave as they walked by. You'd stop and have a conversation. But as we spread further and further out, we began to realize these cars we have would be really nice if we could put them in something to keep them safe. And we started building carports and garages. And now as we drive into our neighborhoods, we drive into our neighborhoods and we open the door and we pull in and we park and we get out and go inside and never once have to say hello to our neighbor. Never have a moment where we have to interact with our neighbor. And so our neighbors, the very people we live by now, have in many cases become strangers. Maybe we wave from time to time. But real honestly, how many of you know five of your immediate neighbors by name? How many of you talk to them once a week? How many of you eat with them once a week? Some of you do. Most of us don't. For many of us, our neighbors are more just someone we are kind to because they share a space, but not someone we care deeply about. What if we as the church change that? What if we as the point began to become such a community that our neighbors were drawn to us? And I don't mean to our Sunday morning gatherings. I don't mean to our events. I mean to us as people. 
that we could be the ones who love and serve and care. And through that, maybe they'll see Jesus. At Thanksgiving this last year, uh, my neighbors and I, we realized something unfortunate. It was the first year that our neighbors next to us and our neighbors across the street were not going anywhere for Thanksgiving. And they were really sad about that. So we suggested, what if after your Thanksgiving meal, you, we just bring desserts and we sit around a fire and we eat pie together? Because you can't go wrong with dessert, right? And so we did that. And it was awesome. And we said, this whole COVID thing and needing to be separate from people and, and not do anything indoors, this is going to be tough. What if we did this more regularly? And so we started every single Saturday at noon sitting around a fire until about end of May when it got really hot. So then we shifted to sitting around an industrial-sized fan. And it works. You just have to talk louder. And we began to share food with one another. And here's what's been so wonderful. Before this, we knew each other's names at best. I'd be, we'd been over to the house next door a few times that invited us over for pizza, but not regularly. And the neighbors across the street, I didn't even know his name, yet alone how many kids they had. And now, almost every single week, we get together and we share food and we talk and we text each other during the week and we ask how you're doing. And when things are tough, like I want to strangle one of my kids, I let them know and they come and restrain me and take my kids for 20 minutes so I can breathe. And the best part is, my neighbors aren't Christian. I'm not trying to make them Christian. I'm not trying to convince them to believe like I believe or behave like I behave. I'm just trying to love them. My wife and I recently decided that we don't want to stop this anytime soon. So we cleared out our carport and did our, all kinds of work with the kids' toys reorganizing. So now we can have like an outdoor living room space and keep hanging out out there. This last weekend as I was working on, actually on Friday, just two days ago, I was working on it, trying to help prepare this space, and two more neighbors walked by who had never seen before. They were walking their dogs, and so I said hello, and they stopped and said, is this where Troy lives? Because Troy, the neighbor kid next door, is at the local school there, and they've got kids in school, so they're trying to figure out where he lives. I said, no, he, he lives right there, but he hangs out here a lot. Do you have kids? Would you like to bring your kids to hang out with us? They plan on it. They weren't able to yesterday, but they said, hopefully next week we can join you and just hang out for a little bit and let the kids play. See, by being present outside of my garage and not hiding in a backyard, it creates an opportunity to simply start a conversation. And if you and I as the church begin to make intentional steps, little steps, small things, to say, I'll do something different to create the kind of community I need, or more importantly, my neighbor needs, to be a brother to somebody who's hurting. If you and I take little steps today, I believe not only can the point look drastically different, but our neighborhoods and our livelihoods, everything about us can and will be completely different. So maybe you're wondering why we put this big map up here or on the screen. You probably can't see it very well from where you're at and certainly not online, but we're going to put it down here later and it's going to be in the lobby for the next several weeks so you can come and look at it. See, this is a map of everybody at the point and where they live. Every one of us, that is if you've given me your address at some point in time, 
So if you're not on here, you're either brand new or it's your fault, let's fix that, okay? <laughs> I put it up here earlier and the band was looking at it before the service and somebody pointed out, you know, it's really obvious you can tell the point, we don't all live together. Yeah, we don't. We're really scattered. So let me ask you, quite honestly, for those of you who live way down here, how often are you going to connect with those who live way over here? You're probably not outside of Sunday morning. And for those of you who live right here near where I live, that one right there is actually my house. So for those of you who live right here, we're basically neighbors. What if Sunday morning wasn't the only time we saw each other? But we went out of our way to say, let's try to see each other and share a meal another day of the week to begin to get to know each other beyond a casual hello. Or like up here in Clinton, did you know we have five different families in Clinton? Sorry, Oak Ridge, just you. <laughs> but I wonder, what would look different if we as a church began to recognize I'm way out here by myself? Who could be a part of my community? And I think there's a couple of really great solutions to us being spread super far out. If we want to begin to get to know each other, we have to begin to be with each other. And so maybe, maybe you could sign up to join a connect group. You see, starting in September, we're going to start new connect groups. And these new connect groups we're going to start are going to be nine weeks long because I know some people, you just don't want to be around them. And that's okay. And maybe you're not friends with them and after trying really hard, you're still not friends with them. That's okay. So for nine weeks, we're going to ask you to commit as many weeks as possible, preferably all nine, but I myself will be on vacation for one of them. So eight for me, hopefully uh, eight or more for you as well. What if you committed to saying for nine weeks, I'm going to try to meet people who live near me and to spend time with them and see if we could even be friends. Maybe something more would happen and you'd be more than friends, but like family at some point. Probably not over nine weeks. In fact, the first couple of weeks will be super awkward. Like I promise, if you sign up for a connect group, the first couple of weeks will be weird because people are weird. Deal with it. That's it. But what if we began to say, how can we know my neighbors? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, or what if we're living way out here and nobody from the point lives out here with us, but we can say, who lives around us that we can begin to connect with and invite to sit around a fire or to share a meal? Who could be my neighbor that I know more than just a casual hello that I actually share life with? And what if as we begin to do this, we realize we actually love one another a lot more than we thought? I want to give a really radical idea for you today that I'm not expecting or asking of today, but it's what I'm going to be praying for for the next several years. What if one day this map didn't look like this? but instead looked like little clusters all over the city of people who've said, I want to live on purpose close to people I also go to church with. Now, at first, this may sound like a radical idea, but we are pretty used to, as a culture, moving. In fact, our transitory nature has made us uh, struggle to have community. Because we generally live someplace for a few years and then maybe a better job opens up or a job across town and we don't want the commute or we want a better school district or, or maybe we want to be closer to our family. And so we as a culture are pretty used to moving. 
Here's a radical idea for you. What if you live in one of these spots all by yourself and you purposefully decided to move close to other people from the church simply so you could begin to be their brother and maybe find family who cares about you more often than just Sunday morning. Now, I don't think any one of you is going to move tomorrow. You're welcome to if you can find a place to live. I don't know, that's tough. However, what if one day little pockets of community And I don't just mean sometimes saying hello, genuine community where you talk to each other throughout the week, you care for one another. When somebody's sick, you take them soup. You love each other in such a way that nobody has any need. And while you're doing it, you invite your neighbors who aren't a part of the point. Come, be loved, be a part of this, and we'll see what happens. This is my hope and my prayer for where we as a church are headed. That our connect groups are no longer based on affinity. You're all of the same age or gender or life stage, but rather you live near one another. So connect with each other. And maybe we could begin to learn to care in a way this city has never seen before. Maybe the rich and the poor would truly meet together. And whether it's Sunday mornings or Monday nights or whenever or whatever we're doing, we would know that we have a brother we could turn to in every storm, in every time of trouble. It's my hope and my prayer for you and I today. Will you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Ananias, for his boldness to come to Saul and not see his past and even his present, but declare him brother to declare him family even when he was potentially scary and dangerous. God, would we be a church that seeks community, genuine, life-changing community, people that we can lean on in every season, people that we can call when we're frustrated or, or text to celebrate. God, people that we can be with and share meals with. Would we become a church that cares more about who we're with than where we live. And Lord, if it's your desire, would you help us to move closer to those that we also worship with? That we can grow in faith together every day of the week as one people and one body united not by our demographics, not by our preferences, not by anything other than your love binding us together. God, we pray that we would become such a community that nobody among us would have any need, but that we would care for each other in radical ways. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to move this, so if you want to see it later today, it'll still be available. I'm going to put it down here later, and then for future weeks, it'll be out there. And I want to encourage you to look for your place of living, where you live. Try to find it and just see how many people might live near you. Maybe you're somebody who lives kind of on an island. So who's your neighbor that you can begin to create community with? Or maybe you live right in a cluster of a bunch of other people. And you could sign up for a connect group and begin to connect and serve and love in a way you've never been loved before. I'm going to make it really easy for you if you want. I'll put a QR code up here. 
All right, if you want to sign up for a connect group, if you're interested, we've got six hosts across the city that are near some of those geographic uh, clusters of people. And our initial goal is people who live within three miles of one another will gather together. Maybe eventually that would be an even smaller distance. Maybe you live outside of those three miles, but you're still interested in being a part of this. As we get started in building this community, wherever you live, we will find the closest group to you so you can be a part of that one for now while you work to love your neighbors where you do live or find a place to live near them. If you want to sign up, sign up now. I'm leaving later today for a week of orientation with Adam in St. Louis uh, as he begins his seminary journey. Uh, but after that, I will actively be working to help you connect with these groups that are starting in the middle of September. And it's my hope and my prayer that through them, you'll find community. Now, as you're filling that out, I just want to invite you today, uh, we're going to collect our offering at this time. And in this place, we don't collect an offering uh, for any reason other than as an act of trust and partnering with what God is doing. We trust that God will handle our finances, and we say we believe what he's doing through us as a people through the point is beneficial. So we want to partner with that and help others get connected to Jesus. So if you want to come and trust God with your finances or partner with the church uh, through our mission today, you can do so with your finances by giving cash or check in the popcorn buckets in the back. And you can put those physical connect cards in there if you chose to fill one out. Or you can give online at thepointknox.com. However you give and whatever you give, it's not to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Before question and answer time, I just want to follow up on that little announcement. Next week we'll be at the park. Um, we'll have like main food and drinks and stuff. If you want to bring a side or dessert to share, feel free. Um, also, if you want to be guaranteed a spot to sit, I suggest maybe bringing a little lawn chair or picnic blanket or something. There's some seats, but you know, I like to make sure I can sit. Yes, sitting is nice because yeah. sometimes I'm long-winded and you just don't want to stand for the right. whole time. Yeah, that'd right. be rough. And when you're eating, you don't want to stand while you're eating. So. <laughs> That's it. That's all Excellent. I had to say about that. So any questions yeah, today? Yeah, okay, good transition. I'm on top of it today. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we have actually a lot of questions. First, things first, someone says, I like your beard and I'm glad it's back. Thank you. Yeah. We had some, we had positive affirmation, you yeah, know. There's usually when it's gone, a whole lot of like, hey, I hate this, when's it going to come yeah. back? So thank you, appreciate <laughs> that. Okay, um, now for some really solid questions. Uh, this one, I have discovered that there are folks who do not know about the schism of the church. Is there any way you could give a brief explanation and where to look for more information? Which schism? Yeah. The church is really good at dividing and separating and finding reasons to create division. Uh, you're probably referring to the very earliest one uh, between the Roman Catholic, well, what became the Roman Catholic Church and what became the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, that schism happened largely over uh, power and authority, who gets to have it. Um, See, the, the Western church was mostly being led by people who were centered in Rome or Alexandria, and the Eastern church was largely being led by people centered in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul. And uh, the Western church said, let's make some changes to theology. And the Eastern church said, we didn't sign up for that. And so then they split and went separate ways. And uh, 
we've been splitting ever since, unfortunately. And one day, God will unite his church because we're all one body united under his blood. And even our differences um, will one day become very minimal and less important. Amen. Oh, to the question, where can you find more about it? I don't know. Uh, I don't have any good resources, but I have a friend I can ask. So I'll ask him and get back to you later with a few resources you can check out for that. Awesome. Um, This is not a question, but it says, to the guy that simply placed your hand on the man in front of you as he had a prayerful moment, thank you for being such a godly example for our young men and all of us of what it means to show brotherly love. Thank you for that kind, loving gesture. It made my day. Love it. So sweet. You guys are awesome. Um, Okay, next question. I am often told that I'm a lot or too much to be around very often. How do I know that the point is a place where I can find familial acceptance? What if the church is writing a check that I can't or won't cash? Every one of us is too much to be around. Some of us just more so. And what I mean by that is, at its core, community requires us to welcome people as they are. And community at its core requires us to let go of our expectations of people becoming like us and people being like me. And at its core, we have to Uh, confess and repent every time we build our own expectations up about what community can be or should be. So if you're one of those people like myself who can just be a bit much sometimes, uh, well, maybe there are things about you that are sinful that can change, then go for it. And maybe there are things that that's just how God made you. And that's okay. One of the things that I really love from an old Benedictine rule, so Benedictine monks uh, would commit themselves for their entire life to living in the same monastery. And if you're going to become a monk, you would agree to never leaving, ever. Could any one of you imagine, like, I'm going to commit today to dying here at the point. Like, I hope I don't kill you. But right? Um, They would make this commitment because they saw that that radical commitment, no matter how hard one another were to live with, no matter how difficult other monks were, they were forced to accept people the way they were and to begin to find a way to live with them and not change them. Uh, And so I think that's the same here. Can I promise that we as a church will be perfect? No. Can I promise we will screw up? Yes. So if this is you and you feel like you're a bit much and you think that you're going to be too much for us to handle, there will probably come a day when somebody treats you that way. And what we need to do then is address it, confront it, repent of it, and seek to work together to repair repair that. So that's what I'm going to commit to, not that we'll get it right, but that we'll always come back to repentance and working together to repair it. Awesome. Um, Okay, I read somewhere that if it's not love, hope, and peace, it's not from God. As someone who deals with anxiety and with the world being what it is right now, especially this past week, how do we cling to the hope of Jesus and not give in to the lies and the fear? Um, How do we cling to the hope of Jesus? I think two things. One, we need a whole lot more Jesus than we currently have. And I know my life easily gets filled with all kinds of things that are not Jesus. Um, At the end of a long day, I like to sit down and numb my brain with watching whatever happens to be on TV or starting this next Saturday, a whole lot of college football. And, And I know that I like to fill my time with things that aren't Jesus. And those things aren't inherently bad. But especially in seasons of a lot of stress and anxiety, it's good to set those things aside for a little bit to spend more time with Jesus. And the second side of that then is, um, how do you find this hope or stay in this hope and this peace? 
I think you need to spend time with people who are going to spend time with Jesus. Be together with others who can help fill you with hope. I heard once that self-control, though, a fruit of the Spirit, if you want to have self-control, somebody else has to give it to you first. And and I really liked that idea. If we want self-control, somebody needs to teach us how to be self-controlled. They need to show us how to live this disciplined life. If we want to be encouraged, we need somebody else to encourage us, to pour courage into us, that in the midst of our fears, we can stand anyway. So if you're dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety and stress right now, Maybe look for things you can set aside for this season so you can spend more time with Jesus and maybe look for people you can do that with as well. Also, fun transition into the very last question. Um, We have koozies on the way that say you can have Jesus and a therapist. Yeah. We're excited to give those out at Wingfest. Yeah. (laughs) So the last question is, will registrations for Wingfest be open anytime soon? So, 2021 is like 2020, where nothing goes quite as we expected. Um, Wingfest reached out to us several months ago and said, do you want to be here? And we asked the people who'd been a part of it in the past, and like, yeah, we don't really want to go back to Wingfest. And so we weren't sure. And they, then they reached out to us again and said, we'll give you a free booth at Wingfest. All you have to do is show up. I'm like, well, that's kind of enticing. <laughs> uh, and then last week, somebody was like, hey, can we go to Wingfest? I'll take charge of leading it. And I was like, Cool, make some sauces, lots of sauce. And uh, so now we're going to Wingfest in two weeks and koozies are on their way. And at Wingfest, if you would be interested, we'll spend the whole day handing out a bunch of chicken wings and talking to people and having conversations, kind of like we did at Brewfest. Um, What's nice about Wingfest this year is we don't have to grill the chicken wings. We just have to make the sauce and serve the food, which is way better because you stand by a hot grill making 500 pounds of chicken wings for nine hours. I don't want to. That's why they were like, maybe not this year. Yeah, that's exactly why they said maybe not this year. And then it's free and we don't have to grill. And like, we're in. Let's do this. So if you're interested, Wingfest is the first Saturday in September. So I think that's two Saturdays from now. Uh, If you're interested, we'll have sign up soon online. And you can sign up to serve for a couple of hours where you just talk to people and have conversations and give them chicken wings. So, all right. That's the last of the questions. Awesome. Uh, Well, with that then... Um, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the contact us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.